wouldn't it be better if you made your own red book? And I don't mean literally making a book, but to explore your own psyche rather than someone else's. But they don't yeah. want you to leave the cult of Nietzsche, do they, James? Because that undermines, you know, their own belief and their own certainty that, that this is the person who's delivering the truth to them. If you look in the red book, you're looking in the wrong place, as usual. Just like when when people look at Ion, you're in the wrong place, as Sorry. usual. Yeah. Yeah, no, oh. seriously. <laughs> Hey guys, and welcome back to Young To Live By. Now today's video is a little bit different to previous videos we've been seeing on this channel recently because it's more of a synthesis today of the old and the new coming together. So the old content I used to do on this channel, you know, the Ion series, for example, you might have seen that, talking about the Red Book, talking about Nietzsche, all these different things, to try and take these ideas, I guess, and synthesize them with what actually works in a clinical setting. And indeed, if these ideas and these characters and everything else either have a validity, but more important than that, what their psychodynamic significance is on an individual and indeed on the culture at large. Because when you go into depth psychology, things are always deeper than they really seem on the surface. And the psyche of individuals likes to trick them. You think that you know something about yourself, when in reality you have not gained consciousness of what you are interested in and what you are trying to do. So this conversation leads off with me asking Steve very nicely, kind of in a jokey way, if the anima exists. Which is kind of a silly question, you might imagine. But archetypes, as they are discussed culturally, kind of fall into the realm of fantasy after a while. Of course, if you've seen our previous video on archetypes, an essential introductory guide, then you'll know roughly the idea of how archetypes fit in with the idea of instinct. So immediately we're going to kick off with Steve responding to the question, does the anima exist? Yeah, the anima exists because it's, it's the relating function. Um, well, I mean, obviously, with a gay man, his relating function is not transferred or projected or shaped by a woman as such. So it's not an inner woman. No, it's a man. But does that mean he has an animus? No, he has a relating function, independence of gender. So we're just redefining yeah. archetypes, really, aren't we? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess really it, it's the overwhelming influence of culture which is so understated that, that I find mm. annoying, you know. And the, the fact that the people see themselves psychologically and just about see themselves psychosocially, uh, seldom see themselves as psychobiological and never see them as all three simultaneously. Mm. Uh, and, and we are all three. Mm -hmm. I and mean, this is something that we mentioned last time, isn't it? Well, this is uh, on the idea of archetypes. It's never really bothered me, to be honest, because we, you know, I know you don't like listing the archetypes and quantifying them. It's like there, there's a shadow and it has a defined purpose in psychobiology, right? And then, the, and even culturally as well, with the cultural shadow. And then there's the anima and the animus, which are the relating function depending on your particular gender. Then you've got the genomic self, and then you have a persona. It doesn't matter what an archetype is at that, that point. It's just describing pieces of biology. It's like saying, well, the heart is an organ. Okay, fine. Yeah, but the I, heart I, is also the heart, you know. Regard the archetype. Sorry, the, the persona as an archetype. I, I don't, I don't see the the basis for that as an archetype. I've it's, seen it described all over. There. I think it was in Jung's works as well. Described it as an archetype. I think it was in uh, Collected Work Seven from memory. I might yeah. be getting that confused. No, no, I, I, you're, you're not. But uh, I, I don't see the grounds for describing something like that as an archetype. No, I couldn't have. Even if you take the, the mythical sort of uh, structuralist uh, approach, um, 
do, do you see personas appearing in films? Or do you see them appearing in literature as an independent archetype? Is there a persona archetype in Star Wars? No, I wouldn't have thought so. It's, no, it's, I, I definitely see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah, it's also the classic um, two-way creation, if you like, because it's a psychosocial interface. And uh, Jung tended to define things from the perspective of an introvert. So from the perspective of an introvert, you create your persona and you identify with it. From the perspective of an extrovert, it might well be something <coughs> different. It might well be something that exists on the expanding rim of your personality as you go out to interface with others. And so it's partially conditioned by other people, um, which is, is ignored in uh, broad Jungian discourse on just what the persona is. But from a biological point of view, an adaptive point of view, it also has to do with your status and maintaining rank as in rank theory mm -hmm. in psychiatry. And then there's Jungian psychiatry, which Anthony Stevens is one uh, pillar of that, um, which understands the importance of status and rank and it's, it's social conditioning. So if the persona is anything, it must be a two-way membrane. It's an interface, a kind of, as I've described it as a socioid factor because it's source of social and it's source of psychological. It's definitely a psychosocial transition boundary uh, but if you take a, a purely introverted and egocentric perspective then you make it but you don't we know this social learning theory and wider psychology is very very definite on this that our interface with others is partially conditioned by sociological factors psychosocial factors and the rest of it is internal but internal bottoms out in terms mm. of biology and the genome and the fact that you obviously have to have a persona, whatever that is, in order to be able to adapt in a survival sense to your culture. So that might mean then that if um, Jung's persona is not what I've described, then Jung's persona is completely incomplete uh, and doesn't actually describe social, social interaction at all. Uh, so there's something wrong with the concept of persona unless it also includes psychosocial functioning as an interface and a two-way uh, membrane. So I don't see it as being an archetype. No. I, I, I see it as a function. Yeah, but couldn't you say that about all the main classic archetypes though and just do away with the word? Just keep the word for, you know, mm. historical posterity's well, sake. Well, but, you well, know, if, if it has no clinical value, if you're not going to go in and be like, well, your archetypes are messed up. To be honest, you, you can achieve any clinical outcome you, that you want without any mention of archetypes at all. It isn't necessary. Um, empirically, to, to, to go back to that, what you experience, and Jung is clear about this himself, is you experience the image. So the archetype in itself, whatever that is supposed to be, is inexperienceable, so it's unverifiable immediately. But you can verify instincts observationally, objectively, in humans and in other animals. But the, the, this concept of the archetype, you can only demonstrate it through its image. But the image is definitely acquired through your culture. It's, it's, it's a local phenomenon. I won't mention the chap, but somebody mentioned uh, to me the other day uh, that had he been brought up in another culture, he now appreciates uh, he would have had that culture. He would, he would have been the same person, but in a different culture, he would have absorbed that culture mm. and therefore his attitudes 
which a fundamental base or instinctive would have remained, but it would have been expressed through that culture. Yeah, they'd have been shaped by it, wouldn't they? They would have been shaped by it. So therefore, his archetypal images would have been completely culturally specific yeah. and different. And rightly so. And rightly yeah. so. So yeah. the religion, the myth, anything else that he's exposed to would have shaped that basic instinctive and genomic pressure to individuate over lifespan. So that, that just shows how plastic archetypal images are. And if, they're, if they're real, they must sit on something. And the only thing I can think of that that could possibly be that was organized in any sense uh, of, of the expression of behavior mm. would be instinct. So that probably means that we haven't understood instincts properly and have then had to create yes. the hypothesis of archetypes to explain the complexity of human instinct because human instinct interfaces and is continuous with culture. Well, archetypal images are definitely real, no question about it. But whether the archetypes are, as people have said, innate biological structures that are independent from instincts, I, I, I see no evidence for that. And I don't know anyone who's ever demonstrated at all scientifically that that's the case. Anthony Stevens, Anthony Stevens, for example, has gone so far as to suggest that the term collective unconscious was a mistake on Jung's part, and that he should have called it the phylogenetic psyche, the evolutionary psyche. And that what follows on from that is the ontogenetic or developmental uh, psyche. So he's gone some way towards appreciating instinct. Yes. Uh, and he, he even goes so far as to bring in the ethologists completely separately from Jung to discuss how uh, animals and even humans imprint on the basis of an innate expectation of what they will encounter in the environment and they imprint on the objects. And that then will obviously create a complex and we're all familiar with that and I think that's valid. You know, complexes as in acquired learning exists. And the reason I'm happy to accept, two reasons I'm happy to accept that that's the case is on clinical grounds, on experience, and then on theoretical grounds that other people come to this to a similar conclusion but with a different nomenclature they would uh, call it uh, be, you know uh, learning theory associative learning behaviorism cognitive theory cognitive behavioral theory cognitive behavioral therapy so these people are making an observation of human nature in the same way that Jung did but coming to a different conclusion but it's similar enough for us to be confident that we're all seeing the same thing, but we're, we're describing it in a different way. As I've said, sorry, where so the CBT people <laughs> fall flat as an applied therapy and as a theory is that they're completely ignorant of biology. The behaviorists though, understand instinct. So although CBT is a modification of behaviorism, they've moved away from instinct. So that, that, that's an important distinction. So yeah, I would say archetypal images are absolutely real. Uh, they form like complexes, but as a very deep structure layer of the unconscious, as conceived of by Jung, in interface with instinctive patterns, which themselves are shaped and released by the genome over lifespan development. And that is sufficient, more than sufficient, uh, for you to work clinically. The moment you start to introduce what I would call archetypal fantasies and narratives, which is the multiplication of factors that we're exposed to through culture. And nowadays, more than ever, through video games, through the internet, the opportunities for generating association upon association upon association of fantasy and of images is immense. Uh, 
so our learned experience, our learned cultural experience then gets projected back out into culture and then reintrojected back in and it fits or it doesn't fit with the instinctive template. So when people get upset with me when I point out their instincts are a priori to so-called archetypes, they lose the point that Jung himself did say that the representation collective, as he called them, from Claude Levi Proulx and before him, Emil Durkheim, was the effect of culture on shaping these things. So I don't, for example, believe that archetypes are imprinted in the genome of birth. And, and Jung himself said that they're like virtual images. I can accept that. That makes complete sense. Because if you're in a different culture, in a different environment, then that virtual form will obtain its contents differentially according to local conditions. I have no problem with that at all. It still works. But what you get with Jung is this massive proliferation of images and investigation into religions and other things, which are all products of culture as different images. Then he says that they are equivalent between these different cultures. Well, of course they are, because it's not that we have a virtual image, which is essentially the same everywhere in terms of its content, but we have a genetic predisposition to act out our lifespan developments under the influence of genomic directed instincts. But those instincts aren't just behaviors, they are anticipations of situations and of behaviors, which is why I believe that myths and films and novels all have a narrative structure and that if you analyze them properly and remove the archetypal mm. character hypothesis out from there and ask the simple question, what instincts are being followed through here? Mm. What instincts are being acted on? including the narrative, including the lifespan development, because I'm saying that that is instinctive under genomic pressure, then you explain it. And there's no need for this fanciful notion of an internal wise old man or even a shadow. The shadow is a functional unit, a homeostatic functional unit, which, as with the anima, we tend to project usually onto someone of the same sex. Uh, if you're male that's just a statistical factor but you can and Jung acknowledges transfer the shadow onto anything you can transfer it onto someone of the opposite sex you can transfer it onto an animal you can transfer it onto a group a, a religion a political ideology so it's very very plastic and the relating function which i will call the animal and a man and the animus and a woman likewise is very very plastic and sexuality is itself quite fluid. It's different between the sexes. Female sexuality is even more fluid than it is in a man. And I think there are biological reasons for that, which we could discuss at some point. All of these things get projected differentially according to individual circumstances. And then when you work clinically with someone, all of that needs to be taken into account. But the minute you start to put fanciful ideas into people's heads, mm. you distract them from the task of adaptation and mm. of getting well. And you can actually make them more suggestible to malignant influence. So, yeah, to, an to answer you, I hope I've answered your question fairly broadly. Sorry, but can I Can yeah. I ask a question based yeah. on what you've just said? Would you uh, say then, for example, that the persona is a socio-culturally acquired complex? Would yes, you get that yes definitely. I, um, th there are cultural complexes that are acquired. If you think about it, all, all socio-cultural mm. learning is acquired. Mm. So you can say then that a complex exists at that level. And Jung demonstrated this experimentally when he worked with families, that families share the same associations and reactions to stimulus words on the word association test. And those reactions include a physiological reaction that is similar. 
So you have biopsychosocial presence immediately demonstrated, proved, done 120 years ago. This was known, uh, but, but Jung drifted away from it and he drifted away from it because of his personal myth. Yeah. His personal myth. Mm. So he lost mm. touch in some respects with, with the objectivity of being a scientist and drifted off into that. It was his yeah. passion and it was his guiding fiction to some extent. Uh, but he did litter his collected works with the solution to solving that riddle. And I think, quite frankly, he was having a laugh. You know, when he said, it's all in there. And then in Memories, Dreams, Reflections, he openly stated that he was telling his mm. personal myth. And then the keys to understanding the collected works are in Memories, Dreams, Reflections. If you look in the Red Book, you're looking in the wrong place, as usual. Just like when, when people look at Ion, you're in the wrong place, as Sorry. usual. Sorry. Yeah, no, oh. seriously. <laughs> James, is it? It's, 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 when you think about it, he didn't want it released, and his grandson released it and has yeah. made quite a bit of money out of releasing yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's a lack of respect, isn't it? It's a really? lack of respect, but it, mm. it also shows you psychosocially what the reason for its release was. That there are people who want to treat that as if it's some kind of magical text. Yes. But he didn't think of it in those terms. <clears throat> as far as he was concerned, this was his self analysis, trying to understand his personal equation. Mm. You arrive at the personal equation as a result of understanding your personal myth. Once you get the personal equation, then you can individuate. For Jung to fully individuate, he had to understand himself. And he had massive capacity, massive bandwidth. But within that bandwidth, there were a lot of interference patterns, <coughs> huge mm. ones, uh, that, that uh, permeated out into his model, into his psychotherapy, and into his life. It took the whole of his collected works for him to work that through. And then uh, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, and to some extent in Man and His Symbols, you get the keys to understanding Carl Jung. So that's why you really should, in some respects, start there before you embark on the collected works. Although if, you, if you're serious in understanding psychotherapy, yes, collected works 16, but go back to volume two, Experimental Researches, perhaps mm. even volume one, Psychiatric Studies. Volume one, mainly for historical purposes. Because if you go there, you can see the state of psychiatry in his day. It's even worse now than it was then, to be quite frank, because they're just glorified pharmacists and misfired neuropharmacists, you know, neuro, uh, neurologists, neuroendocrine specialists. That's what they should be. Because the whole um, hypothesis behind biomedical psychiatry is that it's an endocrine disorder or a genetic disorder. You know, the psychological elements in psychiatry is just something to, to try and make somebody go away mm. with such as through cognitive therapy you know to uh, tell somebody to think differently and go away stop bothering us and come back as a revolving door patient later um when you can still feed into the payment cycle that goes on that justifies yeah. the whole edifice of psychiatry um, staying in place mm. but on the positive side back at psychiatric researches what you'll see there is why Jung transferred his personal myth over into psychiatry. He came in with this already. He was interested in the occult. Uh, he, he had all sorts of religious influences, which were very, very strong and formative in his life. It affected his relationship to his father and his mother profoundly in different ways. He brought all of that in. And of course, he brought Nietzsche in as well. And he struggled to understand Nietzsche before finally deciding what Nietzsche actually was. But he was influenced by him, as you know, significantly. All of this came in to the sharp end in the Berkholzley as a psychiatrist. And then what did he see? He saw the kinds of things that he was thinking about and ruminating on being expressed 
in a disordered but still systematized way by psychiatric patients. And his first response was to formulate a theory of complexes, not archetypes, uh, in, in the way that they later became. And he was very, very effective therapeutically in terms of working with complexes. Almost nobody is effective clinically using the hypothesis of archetypes no. because they don't take. No. Instincts take, complexes take. Jung's idea of lifespan mm. development takes, it resonates with people and it, it causes changes. If he were to take a sociological perspective, which a lot of people who are into psychology won't do because of the division between uh, the disciplines and also because sociology is infected to the point of rotting with uh, politics, biased politics. We all know what that is. There's no need to explicate further, but it's ruined that level of analysis, description and explanation. So people who are into depth psychology tend to avoid sociology. But a biopsychosocial approach forces you to rethink things mm -hmm. and to see the fact that we are simultaneously physiological, psychological and social and socio-environmental mm -hmm. because we do extend into our natural environment. Changes in the environment affect us immediately. What's going on now with COVID-19 operates at every single level of human functioning. It affects us at a molecular level, at a genetic level, at the level of all the, the different layers of Jung's model uh, psychologically, including our persona. Then at the two-person level, which is the, the immediate interaction with society, the dyadic systems level, and beyond that to the family and so on, everything is affected. So our functioning is simultaneous at all of those levels. And to not have that as part of your approach to understanding human nature and to not have it as a framework to allow you to deliver psychologically based based therapy within that broader uh, continuum mm. is a huge mistake mm. in, in my opinion mm. anyway i'm sorry that, that's another monologue about it <laughs> yeah no i i do completely agree with you and i like the, the metric of is this thing going to be clinically valid because at the end of the day that's what Jung was after was making people feel better and i want to you know most of the guys watching this will be sort of um they, they originally would have seen the ion series because that's where most of the subscribers in the audience base came from. Kind of want to make a, a statement about that. The Ion series was kind of just a, it was started off as a fun investigation into this book. And it was originally recommended by Jordan Peterson. That's all it was, was meant to be fun. And then mm. what it did is it sort of, it, it, it generated an audience and it generated this word boyo, for example, it became yeah. its own sort of mythology. Yeah. And then eventually sort of the red book was highly requested. And we made a video on that. I think it's got like a hundred thousand views now, which I was like, yeah. what is a hundred thousand views on the red book yeah. out of all of them. But yeah. when you're looking at iron and when, when you look at the red book, it's kind of, is this going to help me in any way, shape or form is one mm. thing. Mm -hmm. And then the, the distraction question always seems to come up, which is, does this have some kind of profound truth about the nature well, of the what, universe? Well, that's what people believe is in there. Yeah. Surely yeah. to be attracted to it. Yeah. And as we said before on here, it's like you can attach yourself if you wanted to a collective myth like Star Wars. And it's like, yes. well, that doesn't really serve you. It's, the way I like to look at it is it's a massive shame because you're not releasing yourself. It's the same thing with the Red Book, and it'd be the same thing with Ion. It's not a collective mm -hmm. myth, but it's Jung's mm -hmm. myth. So it's like, why yeah. would you attach yourself to Jung's myth rather than, yes. than your own? I, yeah. I, when we did we did the Red Book video, I, I deliberately framed that video as well, not in terms of the great story in the Red Book, but more of how he went about doing it and the psychodynamics of it. Yeah. Because wouldn't it be better if you made your own Red Book? And I don't mean literally making a book, but to explore your own psyche rather than someone else's. You want that. And just, just to be clear, I'm not a, making an ad hominem attack on Carl Jung. He was an extraordinary personality. Yeah, who, definitely, yeah. 
has been the biggest external influence on my life, bar none. Without Absolute, a doubt. Without a shadow yes. of a doubt. Yeah. And uh, I am so grateful for what he did and, yeah. and uh, for his pioneering work, along with Freud and, and others, and I wouldn't be without it. No. But if you're going to take his message, as you've just said, you have to make your own red book. You know, and if he were around now, he'd be kicking ass good style over the people who've been exploiting that and also misinterpreting it. Yes. And he did say that, you know, people had to expand on the base of the ideas that he had. Mm. And the only way to do that is, is, to, is to get experience. And I'm not saying, therefore, that people who aren't in a clinical situation can't do it, because you start with yourself. That's the absolute necessity. There are plenty of people who are clinical practitioners who have never worked on themselves and who don't believe there's any necessity to do so. Mm. Those people are dangerous. Yeah. You know, um, work on yourself. Yes. And if you don't want to be a clinician, that's absolutely fine. If you work on yourself, it's entirely legitimate. It is legitimate. You yeah. know? But if you want to apply those ideas to others, and many <clears throat> people that you and I know, James, do, <clears throat> and, and, and they offer help, and, and that's all very humanistic and very positive, then work towards a position where you can really do that and you can really deliver. You'll make a difference then with a lot of people on an individual basis. Uh, yeah. That has to mean something. That, that, that's got to be good. But the, the Red Book thing and, and working through following Young's myth, that's the hero cycle. If you follow Young, you're on the hero's journey, really, because he's a hero in a way. He, you know, Some people call him a psycho north. Uh, so you go on that journey and you test yourself if you do test yourself and if you just do it by proxy by reading you're not doing it you're not going through the hero cycle no. well you don't uh, want the red book to become chairman Lars red book do no, you no there are for other, example there is another red book well there is yeah, yeah. 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 No, so, yeah. so we have to be careful we do I, I think i think he is incredible i really do but that one message he has is is, is to become yourself Whatever that is, whatever your limitations are, find them. You know, it's entirely possible, and throughout history, most people have, those who have individuated, have done it in ignorance of Carl Jung. And it's also not necessarily a good thing. As I said on the individuation podcast, if Adolf Hitler individuates to his full potential, 60 million people die immediately, pretty much. And then you have 50 years of a Cold War, and then you have all the politics and adjustments of that that have followed and people are still dying because Adolf Hitler individuated. Yes. So it depends on your starting point. Whereas if you're someone who's content with being, say, a landscape gardener yes. in, in a public park mm. and you individuate, that's good enough. It is. That, it that, that's more than good yeah. enough. Yeah. So the task is to, is to discover who you mm. are and to take the wrong turning now and again and to fall because that's part of the rebirth cycle in the hero cycle. And that can be moment by moment. It can indeed. Yes, I mean, it, for, for example, somebody who's um, been recently bereaved and they're deeply into, into grief, into grieving, literally moment by, you know, they're dealing with that moment by moment. So you could say, in effect, that they're going through that hero cycle on a moment by moment basis. Because what they're suffering from is, is, is so deep and, and so terrible in some yeah. ways that it is literally, it is such a, a heroic thing to go through that they can only do it in that way. So it's not just a case if you do it when you're, say, a young man um, and you do it once. People of all ages do it uh, yeah. and in all 
sorts of different situations and they do it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I was thinking this morning about Goethe, and um, you know, I was listening to the Faust Symphony or something. I was like, Goethe was such such a great man. I was reminded of something that Nietzsche said about Goethe actually, because Nietzsche seemed to really idolize Goethe for some reason. He said that the the best book in the German language was was Conversations with Goethe by Eckermann, and um, and he described Goethe as being truly himself. That was how how he described him. You know, Nietzsche, it seems like the way he lived his life was more attaching himself to other actual images from his own unconscious rather than being himself. But it's like, that's the key point. It's like loads of guys are in real life and I know on the internet going through the phase of being interested in masculine and Margot's, essentially. I must be a great man, must be a great man. What defines a great man is being truly yourself because you can't find commonalities between the great men. List them. You won't find commonalities between them. They're all true well, themselves. you have to be your own great man, don't yeah. you? Exactly. There's a huge danger in in, in um, looking to be a great man, and that's the obvious inflation mm. and hubris that can come from that, which is part of the trickster element, the self-deceptive trickster element mm. of the hero cycle for a young man, is that he's looking to be the great man. In other words, mm. to get beyond himself. Now, if young men don't strive to get beyond themselves, then culture will suffer because they are the the energy they are the, they are if you like the even the, the mitochondria to some extent the energy packets of a culture for it to move on and to evolve so we, paradoxically we absolutely need young men to want to aspire to that and to go for it but as the hero cycle as a narrative archetype teaches us mm. there are dangers and uh, there will be a fall uh, and it's how you back you, you bounce back from that fall it, it's really really important uh, it's the passage into true manhood is the fall. You know, true adulthood doesn't come age 18 or 21. It comes when you've gone through the hero cycle and hit the deck and realised that you've hit the floor and that why you've done it and that necessary adaptations to society on one side of the coin and on the reverse side of the coin, adaptations to instinct and to your genomic responsibilities to live out a full mm -hmm. life. It's, that, it's at that point when, I guess, when you realize that you are not just an ego, you are a biopsychosocial phenomenon. You know, when you realize that and then settle into making things happen at those different levels, that's when you begin. Uh, and to do that psychologically, you need to understand your personal equation, which is what adds up, hence equation, to being you. And that includes all of the limitations and all the false narratives that you've acquired mm. on your journey thus far it's hard to actually get outside of yourself isn't it hugely difficult which, which in is terms why, of what you've the hand you've been dealt yeah i mean this is sadly why therapists have taken over you know from the clergy should we say um as young wrote it in psychotherapists or the clergy uh, his paper on this um therapists now are kind of like spiritual guides um and you get that collectively on the internet with, with internet personalities as well, that, that they become great leaders of movements and manner personalities, but they have no personal contact whatsoever with the individuals that they influence en masse. So that yeah. what, is what makes them dangerous. Yeah. Whereas at least a therapist has a, a personal relationship and they're testing themselves and they're questioning themselves. They're not entirely sure about where they stand on things and, and their views change all the time. And they're impacted by the people that they they work with. Definitely. Whereas if you're an internet guru type of personality at whatever level, and there are many levels of this, uh, then you are firewalled. 
from those effects you are. and you can quite nicely inflate and inflate and inflate mm. and in that inflation create a pull a drag on the people who follow them to to, to copy likewise so if you go and imitate somebody who is self-destructive you will destroy yourself you have to because you, you, you're literally giving your soul over yeah you'll go to, over the cliff uh, with them you'll go over you? the cliff with them yeah. to this object this not real relationship that you have with this larger than life, larger than individual personality. But of course, behind that, they do have an individual life and they are vulnerable um, and that can be dangerous. I mean, Hitler was, was just such a man, without, without a doubt. You know, but there are others. Most of them are political figures, but, but some of them head up cults. It's, I think it's even worse than that, to be honest with you. I have this conversation all the time with some of my business partners on the side about the, the, the state of gurudom, and it's on YouTube, and it's on Twitter, and it's all all, all over the place. Um, the level of inflation, as we were talking earlier about persona, is, is mm -hmm. off the charts. Yeah. And I do wonder the actual effects it's having on everyday people. Because mm -hmm. when I was going, you know, experiencing this underneath these guru characters, you know, I, I lost touch with myself and I was wondering, maybe I'm just a suggestible person. Maybe I'm just sort of like a one-off and everyone else is getting on with their lives. But I don't think so. No. I don't think so. I, I want to see what the result of this is yeah. going to be in 10, 20 years time when when this this army of, of mostly young men, but also young women have been essentially programmed by this set of memes. It's mm. like self-improvement things and red pill ideas. And this is how a man should be. Yeah. Well, they're not going to develop at all. No. It's, no, it's basically just remaining a small child with like it's, the, it's the, the it's hubris thinking you're a man. Should probably give up an adolescence. Mm. I mean, if you think about the way that young people uh, attach to celebrities and pop groups and so on, they have their, their idols and their inspirations. I think that's entirely normal at that stage of development. I think it's where it persists, like you yeah. say, uh, and people become, you know, overly involved with. Um, gurus and celebrities and so on out in the culture that they stop developing themselves mm. but i think it's legitimate maybe during those years when you are developing yourself or trying to develop a persona for yourself and maybe starting to realize also that you are more than just your persona but i think beyond that this is where the danger comes where it starts to leach into to later life yeah yeah i, re I really think so you know, I think of myself when I was 17 or 18, when yeah. I kind of was myself, you know, yes. and then going off to university, that's when I really discovered internet gurudom and yes. the, the impact that it had on me. I thought I was, you know, I was improving myself, but I can't think of a single guru at all yeah. that actually benefited me in a, yeah. in a, in a positive way. Yeah. You know, so how, how many people, for example, would have dropped out of university because somebody with 100,000 followers told them they should drop out of university? And they say it with such force oh, with yes. all of their treasures behind them. And they're like, do this. Yes. How yes. many people would have completely fallen off and, yes. you know, fallen and lost track of who they are? Yeah. Must be I millions think... and millions yes. of people at this point. I think you're absolutely right, James. Yeah. On, on my own journey, uh, particularly my contact with Eastern culture, I had many teachers. Uh, and I now think, and I am glad that none of them, none of them were any good, yes. really. They all had not only feet of clay, they couldn't actualize what they represented at all in their personal life. And I now think, had they done even a little bit more than some people believe that they did, they would have completely contained and cramped my own development. The fact that I was able, with all of them, all of them, to see through what was going on, 
that meant that I had the freedom to face the fact that I had to develop myself. Mm. Had I been contained by them, I would have been ruined. It's a disaster, isn't it? It, it would have been a disaster. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to, to reading the greats from the past, they should inform and educate us. They, they really should. Uh, but be, be very careful about modelling yourself on their inner world. Someone like Nietzsche, for example, if, if you follow him too closely through identification, in effect, get an ego-identified Nietzsche complex, mm -hmm. you've immediately ceased to be yourself. Sure. You're no longer you at all. You, you've just been exposed to a psychocultural complex and it's infected you. Now, if you have a, a strong enough ego, a strong enough identity, you can definitely study these people because you won't identify with them. Mm. You can learn from them. You can learn from their life. Mm. But the minute you identify with them, it is pathological. Yeah, you're lost, aren't you? You're lost. Yeah. It is dangerous. Yeah. And um, we, we see the result. I have seen the results of this for decades. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know what it's like to follow Nietzsche as well. And, I, and th there is a distinct feeling, just to try and make that concrete, between reading something and being able to remain separate from it. And it's, it's a feeling of being sucked in. It's like, um, it's like you're being seduced in a non-sexual way. Yes. Kind of, and you, you kind of want to become that person. For me, anyone else listening might be able to relate. It's almost something like, um, what, what, and I'm using Nietzsche as an example, what Nietzsche says is, say, an appropriate taste in music is the correct taste in music. And then I have to get rid of my own. Because he makes it crystal clear in his works. He's like, this is a good music and this is decadent. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, but I don't like those people. But yes. maybe, Nietzsche, maybe Nietzsche was right. Maybe my culture is just toxic and he actually had all the answers. Maybe I should just copy what he did. That's yes. kind of the actual feeling. And now <laughs> I have got a stronger ego, ego since <laughs> I was in that sort of nietzsche phase. And I'm reading him and I'm like, You're, I, you have nothing to offer me whatsoever. Like yes. to, to benefit me as a biopsychosocial yes. entity, so I've got myself, I've got Jane, I've got career, I've got my goals. Yep. Why would I need yep. the ramblings of this man talking? Well, about it's how cults and work, isn't yeah, it? And we, we all know how difficult they are to get away from because yeah. they are so seductive in the way that you're describing. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, um, I don't know what kind of function in psychology does that, but it is like, uh, it's like, like the Pied Piper, basically. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, in pure Jungian terms, it's it's projection of the self archetype, and also yeah. the father as an archetype and a complex. So, in, in classical psychodynamic Jungian psychodynamic terms, that's sufficient to explain why young men transfer that over to a figure like Nietzsche or even like Carl Jung, because there was some inadequacy in their own relationship to their personal father that didn't match what they instinctively anticipated but that instinctive yes. anticipation becomes of course the fantasy of it being an archetype mm. and because it's if, if you're exposed to Jungian ideas that it is an archetype and not an instinct to develop yourself then what happens is that that fantasy archetype as a cultural image gets projected over onto a receptacle onto a hook for mm. that projection and it might just be Nietzsche so you can mm. project the fantasy solution culturally generated fantasy solution which is Frederick Nietzsche you project the self image onto that which really is just the idea of solving what went wrong with your own father and also separating simultaneously from your father which is why so many people are neurotic about their attachment to these figures because the genome intends you to have the best possible parenting thought you can have as preparation for life but it also intends that you break away from your parents and fulfill the genome psychosocially and psychoculturally and physically, obviously, through reproduction. So you're under competing pressures.
to adapt to, to the family and then to adapt to leaving the family. And this is where the parental transferences come in as well. And in psychotherapy, when yeah. somebody comes in and they have some kind of damage with respect to the personal parents or the genetic anticipation of what parents should be yeah. and how both of those things have divided that person's evolving self, their ego self, their self-identity, they have the neurosis. That becomes an individuation neurosis because that person can't individuate whilst they're still trapped in an unconscious relationship to the unactualized parental complexes and parental archetype which is really instinctive and genomic so they cannot then adapt biopsychosocially um, but then in would you the say that that is that's true of most people in terms yeah, of having that particular because, issue life is imperfect uh, life is definitely imperfect and we're buffeted all of us all the time and i agree with young that neurosis is normal because you can't adapt successfully to everything it's a whole series of compromises between how far you can successfully adapt the problem then for relatively intelligent people, and there is a problem for intelligent people, is that they're capable of generating so much more complexity yes. about themselves mm. and about the environment that they produce an endless bandwidth for a, a stream of fantasies to, to you know, explain why they're stuck yes. and to justify why they're stuck. When really the solution is very, very simple. It's instinctive and genomic. And to see yourself as biopsychosocial, not just a walking ego. So the only things that matter are what are related to consciousness at any one moment. Jung pointed this out. He was very, very clear. And he is absolutely right. You know, and any psychology, any psychological method which inflates the ego, and there are plenty out there to do it uh, through psychotherapy, is stupid. Because all you're doing is contributing to the pathology and to the maladaptation of people. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is archetypes are real in the sense that they are images. They're real in the sense that these images form on an instinctive and therefore a genomic base. So yes, archetypes are real, but they're not independent structures in the brain. At best, they're virtual anticipations which are connected within the genome to instinct. You cannot separate them if you analyze them properly. That's what they are. Then if you look at the archetypal images produced by a culture, do not be distracted by them because you will fall. The other thing you should not do, if you possibly can and you have to become more conscious in order to do this, is to transfer the father complex or the mother complex or the father archetype or mother archetype on to some manner personality out in the culture who may well be very, very damaged themselves and has just acquired a platform to yes. spread that damage like an infection everywhere. Mm. You put that in the context of a particularly noxious socio-cultural and political context as we have right now in the west and as you said before it's dangerous and there's a whole generation being misled partially by their own fantasies which are really an attempt to solve it mm. and as Jung said all neuroses really contain within them a secret attempt at self-cure in other words the solution is within the structure of the problem that you have now, and this is true for example with FAP which we can come to later of course, of course. So to make things, I guess, as concrete as we possibly can, can we say safely that most people who are following a guru or a man of personality 
are either trying to fix one of their own individuation neuroses unconsciously by attaching yes. themselves to one of these yes. figures, but yes. as they're attached, they're just going to remain static and instead yes. get more and more inflated, yes. or they were not confirmed by their own fathers or mothers, though it seems to be less common yeah. with women, just, just yeah. from my, my experience, yeah. and they're yeah. actually unconsciously projecting dad and therefore following everything that dad says. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, just, just to come Sorry. back to, to the transference for a moment in therapy, sometimes it's literally like the person you're working with is going through puberty and adolescence all over again with you um, because obviously they see you as somebody maybe um, different uh, to their parents, somebody who can do the things or fill in the gaps um, for them that the, the, the parents didn't um, provide. So... You know, I, I think it's probably a more useful way to look at it, really. Um, that person's obviously trying to reclaim their instincts at one level. And, and you're being used as a therapist to help them to do that. And, and if you don't work with the transference, and you don't encourage somebody to see what's really going on, then you will, in effect, trap them. Yeah. And so is it, is it a cultural... You're duty-bound, duty if you like, to do something about that as a therapist, mm. to uncover that. You are, yeah. Uh, and, and there are different ways of doing it, aren't there? There are, yeah. Um, yeah. A purely Freudian model uh, would see uh, transference as absolutely essential to get a cure. Mm. And the way that they bring the transference about is to provoke it passively. Yes. So uh, they wouldn't tell you that you're likely, say, someone that you're working with, you're likely to transfer onto me or us or whoever. Mm. Uh, they would just create the, the circumstances which allow the person to become more infantile yeah. in a Freudian sense. Because at that point, then, the, the parental complexes, which Freud said always reduced down to the Oedipus complex, disagree with him there, obviously. The idea that, that you become more infantile and then the, the, the issues of, of parenting and nurturing come out, yeah. having been provoked passively because the analyst doesn't offer anything of themselves, they're just blank. Mm. Um, and then he would work, he would seize on that and he, he would work on the stages of psychosexual developments and maladaptation due to that. Now, in effect, he is working on some instincts. Uh, but he's explaining everything in a reductive sense of going back to those instincts at that time. Mm. Now, uh, with uh, people of a more Jungian orientation, they will discuss the transference before it happens, so they're more active about it. Yeah. That treats somebody with more dignity, yes. and it, it doesn't tend to infantilise someone. But what you get, though, is a resistance to not being infantilised, and this is... Uh, this is what Freud would say, would say, well, they're going to resist you anyway, so why not just become passive and let them do it? You create the circumstances which means that they reveal their problem. So they would say, no, the Jungians are wrong. The Jungians would say the Freudians are wrong. In real life, if you try, you may not get the transference at the time you're trying to get it. Uh, and so forth. All these different combinations occur. But fundamentally, transference, if you work in depth, always happens. If you're in a brief a focal psychotherapeutic relationship, say the kind of thing that, that behaviorism or cognitive behaviorism might be suitable for. You know, might, I say might, because very often the, the, the results they get, they, they just trail off, you know. Um, there's a phenomenon called instinctive drift, which explains this, by the way, which behaviorists are aware of, but they don't carry that through in any kind of clinical understanding. But, you, you know, you, you're going to get this, you're going to get a, a transference reaction. So I think it's far better to say to someone, if you're working in depth, this is going to happen. And isn't it better if you 
understand that in advance because you can then prevent yourself from being infantilized because at that point what does emerge is going to be childish and it and also the therapy may encourage someone to remain in that state for too long and that's what you get with classical psychoanalysis and also yes. sadly a lot of youngins yeah the three to five times a week for three years it's abusive it, costing a huge amount of money is, is abusive it is. And, it, and it's actually normal you know um you, you don't have to work for that uh, amount of time it, it doesn't serve anything except no. for the therapist for, the, for their instincts for status and for power and for security so even behind the therapist behavior there are instincts which are conditioning what they do so we, we, we followed uh, Jung's uh, notion that people want to individuate and that it's healthy. Jung's notion, and he said it, that people, human beings, are <laughs> systems. They are psychophysiological systems. He says this, quite clear about it, and that we should tend towards equilibrium, towards a dynamic equilibrium, what we now call homeostasis. He just called it self-regulation. So we would always encourage people to do that and to only go as deep as you need to go. Don't plunge in when it's not necessary. And Carl Jung said that himself. He said, don't disturb the unconscious unless you have to go there. So we would use techniques that don't disturb the unconscious unless you have to, uh, but set up a rapport with it that's based on respect. Respect is very, very important because people very often lack self-respect for themselves because they've lost status or they haven't individuated at the right rate and the socio-cultural levels of their existence, starting with a two-person relationship in the family and whatever, they disrespect the person. So they then interject that as a sense of failure and a lack of capacity to individuate. So if we encourage them to respect the psyche, they are beginning to respect themselves. Then when the unconscious respects them back, that's further confirmation that they are worthy of respect. So it's not just on the superficial level that you give someone, as a Rogerian counsellor would, unconditional positive regard, which, by the way, is a new, <laughs> I say a neurosis because it's an absolute nonsense. Nothing yeah. is unconditional. No. Nothing in no. life is unconditional. But not just at that superficial level of a two-person interaction, you're getting the unconscious to feel respected and to respect back. And then your own psyche kicks in in the same way that you get respected by your unconscious for respecting somebody else's unconscious and the whole thing works better it's smoother it's quicker it's more productive it feels better um, but the outcome is definitely aimed towards reducing suffering this is worse of i get upset with with the profits of suffering no yeah. matter who they are i don't care who they are no. how elevated they are how ordinary they are anybody who pushes the idea that that suffering and pain is good is nuts and frankly belong, belongs in some kind of institution and, and get the get the hard the hard drive yeah. wiped and remapped because it is contra naturum to do that as a species we would never have survived if we were in self-destruct mode from the moment we were conceived agreed 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 i've got a further question on the transference if you don't mind but the the transference on a cultural level because you know obviously you two would be working in depth with somebody for example and say they might have a transference onto you um, what about somebody who is a cultural man or personality figure who is working in depth with you, but it's one-sided? So you, you just perceive them to be working in depth with you. So when you were saying that if, say, in, in a Freudian scenario, the therapist is completely blank, so it, yeah. it draws out the infantile behavior, yeah. is that the same thing we're seeing culturally when people are working in depth 
you know, when people perceive the man of personality to work in depth with them. And in which case, what would that infantile behavior um, look like? How would that manifest? I hope I've understood that. And yeah. That's no disrespect to you. This is, this is just probably a, a fault in me because I, I seem to be feeling that there's several questions wrapped up in mm. one there. So yeah, I, so, so, so if, if I break that down to the, in, to the initial one, basically it's a, it's a distinction between transference in a therapeutic scenario. Yeah. So you have a patient in front of you versus yeah. you're watching a man of personality on the internet day in, day out, who's doing psychological work on yeah. you, but they're yeah. obviously not there in front of you. So can, is that transference, can that still happen? So they become you know, parent, for example, can I, can I presume ask, that's the case. Can I ask, is the man of personality just presenting seminars or is this a, like a one-to-one -one over a Zoom or something like that? No, so so it, it wouldn't be actual physical contact. Yeah, there's no personal communication at all. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, it, but it, to the person who's reading or the person who's watching, it might be perceived that they are providing actual psychological work on them, but it's more of an introject than anything else. In the first place, no, um, no, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Potentially. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, sorry, just reorganise my thoughts. Yeah, that's cool. Such personalities do not turn up uh, for people like us no. uh, because they're, they're already at the level of a religious delusion about themselves mm. and about their omnipotence. Mm. So there's no way they're going to think that they need any kind of help. <laughs> that they are sufficient mm. unto themselves. Yeah, uh, and that, that's one reason why they're dangerous. I mean, Carl Jung said, "Well, the Pope has a confessor, and for that reason." that this is someone who's meant to act a little bit like the alter ego or the moral complex to make sure that the Pope stays. Whether the Pope really does stay on the straight and narrow is another matter, and it depends on the particular Pope, if you look back through history. Oh, yeah, there's some good Popes. There are some Popes that are good, and there are some Popes that are... That are yeah. Less. You know, like the Borgias, for example. So we just, just leave it with that, I think. Probably the, the safest thing to do. Sure, sure, okay. But people who follow manner personalities and then interject them, yes, you, you, you will meet them. Uh, and they have a fundamentalist religious attitude. You can't reach them. If, if you get outside of the bandwidth of tolerances that their ego has established for them to contain these collective forces, so, psychosocial, cultural forces, if you get outside the bandwidth, if you, if you challenge it, then the shadow is immediately dumped on you, uh, immediately, uh, in a massive way. Um, or... They, they will think of you as a target because you threaten them collectively as a group. Uh, and this is why uh, you might attract trolls, for example, you know, uh, because they want to take down someone who threatens this overvalued idea that has occupied their ego as a virus. They, they will see you as a threat, even though you're not a threat. You're just, just someone who has a different idea, but it's, it's sufficient. Now, to bring that down to the level of, of uh, a, a transference, um, You'd either have someone who was actually on the edge of insanity, in other words, they were, they were latently psychotic, or the overvalued and inflated ideas, as I said before, were contained within a religious system of one kind or another. And yes, we've met people like that, and they are extremely difficult to help. Uh, they usually have to lose control completely of their ego there before they will accept any kind of help at all. Mm. But for some people where the cracks might start to show, yeah. where they might have some sort of semblance of this isn't right or this isn't working for me, they might come along to us at that point, yes. almost to test us out or, or to test yes. themselves against the person that they've been projecting onto. Yeah, I, I've, I've 
I've worked with quite a few um, Christian priests and, and uh, some religious people from other faiths, not just followers of religion, but people who would deliver, if you like, in, in, in the role of a priest. Um, and it's been interesting in a way, I guess, uh, obviously on a human level, it's interesting because if something isn't interesting, you can't give your best. You have to be interested in people in order to work as a therapist effectively. Yeah. But it's been interesting at an academic and a theoretical level to see how these socio-cultural systems of hygiene have broken down for these people and they can no longer contain these forces. And one of the ways I've had to adapt to that on the basis of rapport is to go into that system of belief with them as if I don't contradict it. And I wouldn't want to contradict it. But you can passively contradict the belief system just by being yourself. Mm. But if, if you have some education in the system that they follow and believe in, uh, and if you have an open acceptance for their general way of believing and following and for the validity of the lifestyle that they want, then you gain rapport. And I don't mean this as like a stealth or camouflage way of getting in so you can then deconstruct their beliefs. You have to have rapport in order to communicate with them. And my way of doing this was, was to get inside as, as far as I could authentically, without being inauthentic. Uh, <clears throat> and that would require them to accept me to, to, to get inside their worldview, uh, not as a pathogen, but as a complementary process. Some of them would say, for example, well, you know, uh, I don't believe that my religion is that I'm having difficulty with is the problem. And I know that you don't follow that religion, but my religion might acquire you and borrow you as an external force to help me and you'll receive blessings for doing it and i've been in that position and i have books on my shelves given to me by people of different religions they're religious books that are given in gift of blessing for the fact that they believe that their god brought me into the picture to help them and that i should receive that gift to make sure that i have a I have a better spiritual life thereafter. Mm. And I accept the gift mm. in the sense that it was given. Yeah. Uh, I do not criticize the belief. I really don't. It would only be if someone was to say to me, this is damaging me and I have to get out. This is a cult, a cult. Sometimes it's the occult as well, you know, yes. because they are also belief systems, powerful belief systems. And I have quite a bit of experience with that. We both have mm. over the years. Mm. So on a human level, we, we, we take people as they present. But of course, if you're dealing with an inflated collective representation of the shadow that is representing in one person, then you know that you're being targeted with evil intent. And that does happen. You know, uh, people, well, they're reflecting good but delivering evil, those people, aren't they? That, 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 that is actually another a level of that. Um, that, that, that is an even more complicated level than I meant, but that, Sorry, that, that, that's okay. But, but that does actually present mm. uh, in that way. Um, but some people, you know, actually bring the dark side of their faith. Yes, it is the same as what you say, but, it, mm. but in effect, they bring the dark side of their belief in uh, because they have, on a personal level, heard about you or someone I, they know has worked with you. Yeah. Uh, and mm. uh, you are a threat to their worldview. Yes. So you have to yes, be deconstructed exactly. yeah. uh, in some way yeah. or other. Uh, and this mm. happens, it happens on, on the internet now. I, mm. I say things which are challenging to the Jungian orthodoxy, mm. uh, but not really, mm. not really. Anthony Stevens is part of the Jungian orthodoxy, mm. really. He's on the periphery of it, but he is part of it. Mm. So is Ernest Rossi, and so are the other mm. people who are less well-known who follow them. Mm. But the 
kind of things I say, which are found to be controversial by people who just read about Jung and have never worked properly using him, well, then I, I become a target because I'm saying, if you like, to some extent, that the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. But I'm not saying that to the extent of deconstructing Jung completely. No. Uh, he, as I say, he's been a cornerstone of my life and my clinical work and of our relationship. But sometimes um, people will use you as an, in, an introject to try and deconstruct things for themselves on the inside that have yes. difficulty with. Yes, that, that, and that can be healthy. It can be healthy. It's better to see it as healthy if you yeah. possibly can, yeah. rather than just like a, it becomes yeah. an ad hominem thing at one point, doesn't it, really? That, yes, yes, it does. Yeah, rather than despising you, the messenger, if they could see that as something that, that they could utilise on the inside to deconstruct some yeah. of their own ideas that are maybe harmful or ideas they're getting from other people, that would be a stream there just crashed as Pauline started speaking replying to Steve the whole thing crashed it crashed on your end guys didn't it and it also yes, crashed it on my end simultaneously yes, it froze and then went completely then, then the computer switched yes. off that yes just, it didn't just go blue screen it just shut down yeah uh, and then was resistance to being rebooted but we've managed to do it now Yes, well, there's um, potentially multiple layers of potential symbolism lined in that. But we're highlighting that, of course, because we do tend to have tech-related synchronicities, multi uh, malfunctions at the same time on both ends, and it, it doesn't want to work. Uh, I found out, by the way, about why the... Because um, lots of guys, I think 500 shadow manuals so far have gone out. But I don't know how many guys have actually got the shadow manual out of those 500, because I've been getting loads of emails saying the link doesn't work, the link doesn't work, the link doesn't work, still, even though it does. And there, there's the stuff I've had multiple emails so far about, um, it could be the fact I'm using ProtonMail and there's no authentication, but that can't yeah. be true because it, it worked for you too. And it worked for yeah. Jane and everybody else. So the universe or something in the universe does not want us to, uh, to bring these yeah. videos out, but we're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Yes. Well, we agree, don't we? We, the, we do this, indeed. This, this happens, doesn't it? And, and I think the fact that we were investigating the transference yeah. is, has to be relevant, doesn't it? Because it's mm -hmm. about handing power back to people fundamentally. If you work through the transference in, in therapy with someone, that's what it's about. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you fall into the trap of becoming a man of personality yourself, and it's absolutely yeah. the last thing that you, yeah. you want to be. We were going against the uh, the received energetic wisdom, weren't we, of, of the yes. internet, and, and also yes. of the, the power of these collective ideals and ideas. We were focusing on individuation, individuality, and personal growth rather than being subsumed to the collective. Mm. And then uh, our machines both crash. Yeah. 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 There must be some symbolism with cutting off. Right, because it must be a case of cut something off, yeah. which is also actually a synchronicity in my own life anyway, in terms of things being cut off, but uh, not not in, not in any kind of you know su uh, su suggestive way. It's just appearing in dreams, de uh, decapitations, having limbs cut yeah. off. It could be it's severance it be. of the old ways, James. I yeah. think for you, isn't it? Yes, yeah, definitely, De definitely. So uh, yeah, where, where where were we? Where would you like to to jump back into this then? Well, we were talking about the phenomenon of transference, weren't yes. we? Before that, we were discussing archetypes and a different way of looking at it and uh, putting our view into its context, which we're not outliers as such with this, because other people are thinking this way and have been for, for some time. Uh, and we were encouraging people to become themselves. Mm. Yeah. 
But I, I like this because it's not like you're doing an attack on the Jungian orthodoxy or anything like that. You're literally yeah, reducing it down to, you know, lots of people have the first principle that, that life is suffering or suffering is good or there's loads mm-hmm. of them, Lo- loads of them. Generally, the first principle with us seems to be, or at least you with, with, with the clinical practice is no suffering is not good. And so therefore any, any model that will help relieve said suffering in an, in an unnecessary manner is going yes. to be a, a good thing. So regardless of its archetype complex, the words don't matter per se. It's what's mm. going to go out there and work. And that's how you can tie Ion and the Red Book and Nietzsche and all these things into it. It's like, is this helping you become you? And if the answer is no, then it's like, mm. well, there you go. That's it. Argument over. There's no complex philosophy needed. So like it doesn't help you. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, we very in, in, in therapy, we very rarely discuss theory unless people ask for it. Yeah. But you said that you discuss, say, the transference openly as more Jungian-based yes, psychotherapists. Yes, but not necessarily in a technical no, way. No, we took responsibility for managing the process yes. because we're supposed to understand it, which means that you have to manage mm. that. And it means that you're forgiving as well of people, which, mm. which is important rather than, you know, seeing it as a pathology. <laughs> the Freudians did see it as a pathology, and I, I can see why. Uh, the Jungians are supposed to see it in a more positive light mm. that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, on, the, on the point of suffering, imagine going to a doctor's and you don't have an illness, and you go there and say, "Doctor, I don't have a disease. I'd like one, please." So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to acquire one. Yes, yeah. I, I'd like to suffer, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not. And I, I feel awfully abnormal because I'm not suffering. Please give me something serious. Can you imagine that? Yeah, it, it is the same. Yeah, or you go in with like a common cold and say, "Please help me," and he's like, "But suffering is good. Suffering is what will will, will turn you from who you are now into a strong, yeah. wise man in, in the future." What kind of absolute nonsense is that? I mean, some suffering's unavoidable. Mm. Of course, it is. Yeah, except that. Yes, but beyond that, no. 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 Yeah. What, what, is, no. Is, it, is it desirable or not? And instinctively, we have it as in no. It was it Freud? You know, go 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 towards pleasure and away from pain. Is like this meme that's thrown around. It, it is an instinctual thing. If you burn your hand on an oven, the hand is pulled away. And it's the same thing. If if you've got say COVID nineteen at the moment, it's like, do you want yes. it? No, no, yes. you don't. So you get rid yes. of it. Same thing psychologically. It must be as you know, biopsychosocial has to be. Yes. yes. With um, psychodynamics, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's relevant that. Uh, in Buddhism, you have three turnings of the wheel of Dharma. You know, Hinayana, which is the original Theravadian Buddhism. Mahayana, which is uh, more socially orientated and it's for everyone. And Vajrayana, which is the, the Tantric Buddhism, and that's the esoteric side. With psychodynamics, you have Freud, which is the equivalent of, it is the original, the equivalent mm. of the, the so-called narrow path of Hinayana, very, very focused. And then the second turning of the wheel, Ardla, which is social interest principally. Uh, and then with um, Jung, you have the transcendent or esoteric elements. But with, uh, with Freud, it's, yes, it, it's basic instincts, but they get arrested rather than develop. Then you have the modification of that as Mahayana was a modification of Hinayana in Buddhism. The modification is towards social interest, but also with the, the power principle. So you go beyond the pleasure principle and into the power principle, of course, he was influenced by Nietzsche to some extent in that. Then you have Jung, and for him it was individuation, and libido was life energy and life force, and it was about fulfillment. So you have the free turnings of the wheel of the psychoanalytic dharma as well, uh, just as you do with uh, with Buddhism. And it's probably not, you know, an accident that there's a correlation there, but they've all become like belief systems, and they all address suffering. Buddhism addresses suffering and it did in 500 bc 
before Christianity, you know, all life is filled with suffering. That's the first noble truth in, in, uh, in Buddhism. Then you get down to Freud, where he addresses suffering as being about uh, maladaptations in childhood, uh, misfired psychosexual development. Then you have Ardru comes along and says that we should all be interested in other people, not ourselves, and that we all suffer from a sense of inferiority, and we need to strive towards superiority. Probably sounds familiar to students of Nietzsche to some extent at least. <clears throat> and then there was uh, the masculine protest, which is an instinct. It's the assertion of the masculine principle, which comes through with Adler as well. And you can link that to, as I say, to instinct, and you can link it to Freud, and you can put that into the context of the no-fat movement. But what they're not doing is the masculine protest. They're not asserting their masculinity. They're cafecting, as, as uh, Freud would say, their libido away from something positive and into a distraction and then <clears throat> filling themselves with guilt, which is very, very destructive. And it's the dark side of the Freudian approach, to be quite honest. So really, we need to move from that to go to Adler, the masculine process, but still have social interest, adaptation to others. And then finally move to the Jungian, the true Jungian perspective of transcendence. So you make your instincts the road to a spiritual life that that can be done i think men too you know as in freud ardley young mm. they're inseparable from their theory yes they are yeah you know you know the man you know the background to the man that you understand the theory yes and, and you can reverse that can. too but by understanding the theory it reveals the man mm. um of course nietzsche said this about philosophical systems being statements uh, to do with their mm. founders. Uh, Jung said the same about psychological theories. And although it seems to be the same statements, and some people have said that Nietzsche said it first, he may have said it first, but Jung said it more profoundly mm. because uh, Nietzsche's philosophy, despite mm. what it appears, is not a depth psychology at all. Um, and to really analyze yourself, to truly go on that journey, um, it produces a different result. Yeah, it does. And the idea that he would also think that he was separate from that process is kind of a bit vain. So all the all these other philosophers, uh, they're writing an autobiography, but not mine. Mine is special. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. that's the way it comes across when you when you read it. Yeah. I've been, I went, when I started to break away more from Nietzsche, I was critiqued by people going, you don't understand him, you don't understand him, you don't understand him. It's like, no, I, do understand, I, I don't understand him. I don't need him. I don't want him. But they don't yeah. want you to leave the cult of Nietzsche, do they, James? Because that undermines you know, their own belief and their own certainty that, that this is the person who's delivering the truth to them. So, like I say, it's like anyone trying to leave a cult. Yeah. Yeah, and it does definitely become a cult. Not say the, the, say the average, if you're watching this right now and you like Nietzsche, not describing mm. you. I'm talking the prophets of Nietzsche on the internet. Yes. I, can think of, I, I can think of yes. several. And it is a case of a cult because you look at sort of the behaviours and it goes into Nietzsche quite nicely because he is, he was, he was a guy on the mountains. He was isolated. Like he was not an adapted man. He was not right. in touch with his it's an instincts. Important point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and lots yeah. of these cults of, of, of Nietzsche. I won't won't name any names, but there's a specific prominent personality I can I can think of. Is more yes. pagan, pagany based stuff. It is basically abandoned civilization. That's the whole idea. It's like why don't we yeah. copy Nietzsche and go onto the mountains? Because civilization yeah. and it's, it's a real it's a bastardization of Freud. The whole yeah. idea of neurosis yeah. is the price you pay for civilization. Yes. Therefore, we yeah. destroy civilization. And Nietzsche well, had it, it right. It's like, it you're not a normal person. Adaptation to real life, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It Essentially. is. Essentially. 
Which is why you have to go back to biology or else you're going to lose yourself. If it's just purely philosophy, it's like, well, we don't need biological first principles. It's the same problem with the, with the more rabid feminist-type characters. Yes. They lose touch with biology. It's the same thing with, with the yes. up-in-their-head philosophy, we hate civilization, it's doomed type people. So you, you're not a human being after that. Like you, you lose touch with what it means to be a human being, relating yeah. to other people. It's not yes. healthy. Yeah. There's a, there's a dark philosophy, or a dark uh, shadow, if you like, uh, behind that, because to destroy civilization inevitably means it will rise again. It'll just be in another form. So th this, um, I mean, Hitler was like that. And I don't know who you're talking about, by the way. So no, I've no I have no idea. Don't want to know. No. But the parallel I'm drawing with what you said is that Hitler was an iconoclast of, of civilization as well. And he'd internalized the Wotan myth the collective Wotan myth originating in Germany and Germanic speaking people. And he brought about Gotterdammerung, he brought uh, about the Twilight of the Gods. Mm. But, you know, as my father used to say and my mum, she said that we, we would listen to Hitler's speeches translated into English and watch him ranting and think that this is just nonsense <coughs> because they didn't have Wotan mm. as a cultural icon. But genetically, the English, the Germans, so why didn't then, if uh, this archetype of Wotan, if that is a Germanic archetype, why did it not kick off in England amongst those people who have Germanic Y chromosomes? And I've got one. You know? um, I've had mine tested, although uh, my family, uh, my father's family from Wales, I have a, G a Germanic and, and Scandinavian, it crosses the borders, uh, Y chromosomes. So the direct line of my father's goes back there, but I find that repulsive. Yeah. Yeah? So it's not genetic, it's not, it's cultural. And it, it, it goes in, uh, and as, as we said earlier, interfaces with a virtual propensity towards assertion of an instinct. And to destroy something and rebuild it yourself makes you very, very important. It also means that you're likely to spread the culture that you create. And if you're into eugenics as well, you're also serving the collective gene pool. And the Nazis were into eugenics. So even if Hitler himself didn't have children, which he didn't, uh, and there were all sorts of reasons probably for that, and not just that he allegedly had only one testicle, it probably had more to do with psychological uh, and cultural and magical reasons that he, that he couldn't have children. You know, you, you, you can see that there's all sorts of things going on here, but they're very local and very, very specific. So to, to destroy a culture in order to build one also serves instincts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the individual, by the way, that I was talking about is someone I've never been associated with. They've written one book. But some people might be able to, to f figure it out. But you've got to ask yourself the, the question, because I've, I've tried to do this. It's like, what would my life look like if I followed this particular belief system? Like a religious yeah. belief system. Yes. Yeah. First of all, I couldn't consciously because and most people can't. You can't just say I'm going to follow this belief system because it's incredibly difficult. You can't just take something up like like that. But you wouldn't you wouldn't find yourself a, a normal, for example, I, I, and I mean normal in a sense, not to put a value judgment on it. I mean in terms of homeostasis with the culture. You wouldn't yes. find your place within culture. You wouldn't have mm -hmm. children, for example. Yes. You wouldn't follow normal lifespan. It would be I'm going to remain cute. angsty because I've got the truth and you all haven't. So you mm. should all follow me. And it's like yeah. it's not going to happen, dude. It's not going to happen. And then, but, but and I can like make fun of that, but I don't want to. I'm out of that phase now because it's dangerous yeah. and sad. Because they're not going to find happiness. And then it's all paraded around with, well, happiness isn't a good thing. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. I really, really don't think so.
That's a hell of a trap, isn't it? Yeah. If someone's unhappy, and if a group is unhappy, it's more malleable to suggestion because the compensation for that will be latent, even if on the surface these people are saying they're content to be miserable. Really, they they want to be fulfilled, but they want to go where the power is and where they project the power. And if they imagine one of these manner personalities is a leader who will bring about change, then rather than confront the change themselves individually, they'll just go along with it. Um, and, and that's one of the psychodynamics that's at work. Okay, well, cheers, guys. Uh, I think uh, we've probably gone on a little bit, not too long today, but, you know, long enough for, uh, for people to kind of get the general vibe we're trying to go for. And of course, we'll follow this up with more videos on this topic in the future. We're trying to, we're trying to do a balance here between filtering through a, kind of a syllabus, if you like, and also what the psyche kind of tells us to go towards yes. and do. So there's a bit of instincts yeah. built into that, if you like. But first of all, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Pauline, for joining me thank once again. And, and thank you everybody else for watching this. If you'd like a free copy of our guide, which is called uh, the Shadow Integration Manual, then you can do so if you click the link in the description down below. And as always, if you choose to support us on Patreon, it's massively appreciated. And we're listing a whole bunch of benefits over there, which I'm sure I'm sure you will like. But with that, thank you everybody. See you again. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thanks, everyone. See you Bye. soon. Blessings.